2: it's just no, all of yeah. that is, is so good I um, admit it <laughs> right <sighs>
3: They tried to tell me it was gout for a long time, Craig. I, I swear to God, I'm back to in that. In your wrist, really? Yeah. Um, and at, at a certain I point, I just sense. felt like I had two different doctors telling me this after results were kind of inconclusive on the, on the testing. And I mean, come on.
2: The wrist is, is not a good one to, to have go. We need that.
3: Well, Fortunately, in the important areas, I'm ambidextrous.
2: Ah, so. there we go. <laughs> Nicely done. All right, Big well, word like gymnasium
3: yeah yeah there we go there's the kiss drop for the day uh we of course we have craig smith returning to the program uh craig welcome back uh thanks for uh being the 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 diverse crowd of people talking about pearl jam 10 that was lc's
2: joke by the way his contribution to today's show (laughs) uh he always makes an appearance in some way yeah (laughs) yeah he wants to be included yeah.
3: Uh, well, we got a big one today, man. Um, uh, coming in at number three on Rolling Stones' greatest grunge albums of all time is the 1991 debut record from Pearl Jam 10. Um, this was released on my birthday, August 27th, 1991. It was produced by Rick Parasher and Pearl Jam, and it had the singles. All monsters for the most part. Uh, alive, even flowing Jeremy. Maybe not so much Oceans as a monster, but anyway. And this sucker has gone on to sell oh, 13, 14 million uh, records there,
2: Craig. Uh, uh, this is uh, an album you go back to? Uh, to be completely honest, no. It was it was nice to revisit it um, because I tend to go towards uh, verses, which is my favorite. Uh, no Code, which is my favorite when verses is not my favorite. Uh, 10 I kind of revisited when the Redux came out. Yep. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, Pearl Jam is one of those bands. I probably said it in the last episode. I, I tend to go more towards their official live bootlegs than the studio records. I think that that's where they really shine. Um, so it's not like I don't hear these songs all the time. Uh, oh, but I got In their you. studio. Yeah, and the studio counterparts, it's, it's not an album I go back to very often, so it was nice to kind of um, go back and switch back and forth between the original and the redux you know, during this listening process. I'm still working my
3: way through that mountain of live stuff you sent me after the last show. So thank you for that. It's oh, you're welcome. Yeah, wonderful shit. Uh, good stuff. To yeah, do. I got to
2: tell you uh, that last episode that we did on verses. After that, I went like deep into a Pearl Jam yeah, rabbit too. hole, and um, I found uh, two Pearl Jam uh, podcasts. That I subscribed to and immediately joined the Patreon for. Wow. Uh, one um, is specifically uh, live recordings. They do like one per show, and another one is more topical. Um, single podcast theory and live on four legs. Both recommended. Um, really good, uh, very obsessive level pearl gem stuff but good hosts you know fun to listen to right on obviously you you know a lot about that having uh uh, years co-hosted a show with uh with cannonball (laughs) yeah exactly
3: (laughs) we're 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 two great hosts Uh, we're very informative um right uh and you know and as uh wadley said in in the last episode uh being podcasters we have to deal with a lot of groupies and and deal with that kind of Mm. stuff too that comes with just all successful podcasters
2: yeah absolutely Let's that's get- why Eric and, I, Eric and I had to take a break from cutting a swath through Pennsylvania, <laughs> uh, and that's why we're retired, just uh, the group he's got out of control. Too much pussy.
3: Uh, um, well, let's get a little bit into the backstory of this. I don't think we carried sure. too far back into the formation of this band on the last episode. Of course, um, Stone and Jeff had been in a band going all the way back to Green River, and then from that they kind of formed Mother Love Bone. And that was kind of on the preposites of their like first major label kind of release when their singer Andrew Wood overdosed and died. And that band, of course, came to an end um, before they even released their their, their major label debut anyway. Uh, so Stone and Jeff kind of soldiered on. I think the story of how they ended up with, um, Eddie is probably the most fascinating part of all this because, I mean, Amazing. he's he's a guy in San Diego. How does he actually even end up with this tape? How do they get it back? And, you know, because he, he wasn't someone of any note. And, and if you look at it, it is it's very serendipitous because I can't think of a. Uh, he seems just the perfect guy for the job, is all I'm getting at.
2: Yeah. And I mean, they, um, in Pearl Jam 20, which is a documentary I know you've seen mm-hmm. and that I def- definitely recommend for anybody just into music documentaries, whether you're a Pearl Jam fan or not, it's one of those that's just put together brilliantly. Um, you know, they talk about getting this three-song cassette. Basically, they sent him instrumental demos, and they got this back with just you know probably a primitive four-track. He probably took their thing and just sang whatever on top of it, and they were just like holy shit like this is there's there's no way this isn't the guy you know and you got to think like at that point it's just a matter of can you get on with this dude Um,
0: right and that that's a huge
2: part though that's uh, it absolutely is and i mean you know they they've you know had kind of weird um weird times in the band with with power dynamics and things like that that they kind of get into but um you know Looking at it on the surface, especially during this era of ten, watching live shows from this time, it he was meant to be a front man for this band.
3: a lot of like, um the grunge movement is is all focused on Nirvana. And then from that point on. Now, this album actually came out a month before. Nevermind, although I think it definitely benefited from the, su- the success of Nevermind. But sure. let's go back to the fact that Mother Love Bone basically imploded, and Stone and Jeff were still able to kind of you know get together and kind of rebound in a fairly short period of time and have a major mm-hmm. label re- release come out with an entirely new project. When I spoke with Bruce Pavitt, he actually mentioned that, well, The Seattle scene was getting a lot of attention long before Nirvana Nevermind broke, and I think that that kind of adds credence to it, because like a record label, why would you even still hang in there with these people? They might still have the context, but you might be like, look, guys, it just just isn't going to happen for you. This isn't the type of luck most people get. You know, you look at a band right. like Y&T, it's just bad bake, break after bad break, but it's one band carrying forward. This band had a huge bad break, and they hadn't even accomplished anything, so the fact that they were kind of still given the opportunity in such a short period of time does add credence to the idea that this Seattle scene was getting noticed with or without Nirvana, never mind blowing up the way it did. Right. Not yeah. Now, who knows how it would have turned out if that record didn't
2: hit, but... You mention, uh, and I think that this might have been to Pearl Jam's detriment, uh, Nirvana absolutely the face of grunge, but Eddie Vedder absolutely the voice of it. When you mm. look at kind of uh, the grunge tropes, it's people imitating Eddie Vedder's voice, you know, and that's <laughs> no doubt. probably not not been a great thing. I mean, obviously, you'll like his voice or you won't, but then when people start to take that on as a contrived kind of affect it you know it 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 kind of cheapens the original article for a lot of people yeah uh, and i think that, that that's probably uh you know something that um you know uh, i don't know that i'd say made their popularity wane but it it definitely probably pulled people away from them you know
3: it definitely you know drives some of the hatred no doubt When they started recording the record, they were still called Mookie Mookie Blaylock by everything I found out. Uh, Is that right? Yeah, I believe so. I don't think you're the hugest sports guy, right? Are you familiar with Mookie Blaylock as the basketball player? Uh, Yeah, and I only know that
2: because of Pearl Jam.
3: Nice nice player, but... uh, not exactly. Um, uh, uh, like He's a mid-level talent. You know what I mean? Um, okay. And I thought it'd be fun to just give uh, the listeners the career stats of Mookie blaylack if that's all right. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, well, he played in 889 games. Uh, he averaged 13.5 points. Again, not bad, but that's not Michael Jordan level. Uh, 6.7 assists. Pretty solid. Field goal percentage, 40.9%. Uh, from three-point uh, range, he was thir- 33.6. And a solid... This would definitely make Shaq jealous, Uh, 73.6% from the 3 throw line. But i got to be honest, Craig, I could do better than that in uh, grade school from the free throw. I had at least an 85% free throw percentage in sixth grade.
2: See, I was just going to say, you said a lot of words. I'm not sure what any of them mean, (laughs) so I'm just going to take your word for it. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, I never found
3: out anything uh, confirming this. I don't know whether Mookie knew about them or cared. Do you know anything like the, – the, the, I'm guessing Pearl Jam isn't his kind of
2: jam, so to speak. I I feel like uh, in the, the documentary that they show, if I'm remembering correctly, it's like a scene of them in a car maybe playing their first show as Pearl Jam. Um, and okay. they say something like they got a cease and desist or something like that. So the new name is Pearl Jam. It was like uh, them goofing around. Um, I don't know if there's truth to that story. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there they're very well could be. There's a lot of mythology um, within the actual name of
3: the band and mm-hmm. uh, the Mookie Blaylock thing. So it was really difficult to tie down. And they seem to like to keep it that way uh, for the yeah. most part. <laughs> so, yeah. um, now, in, the, in I mentioned the, um, the interview with uh, 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 Bill Simmons in the last episode. Eddie has yeah. a fantastic Dennis Rodman story in there. Where uh, apparently Eddie is friends with Dennis Rodman. Uh, now De- yeah. Dennis Rodman is a more known player, uh, yes. m- much more of a character, but still odd to find out he's a huge Pearl Jam fan. Um, so yeah, yeah, he, he ends up in Seattle the day before a game. He he sees Eddie, meets Eddie at the hotel, and immediately talks Eddie into flying to Las Vegas. So they can catch, I think, Allison Chains or something like that. Wow. Uh, and uh, and so Eddie's like telling the story much better than I can. Um, but but yeah, they land there and like everything just rush, rush, rush. Uh, they sit down. Dennis opens a, a can of Coop Miller Lite and he's like, "Isn't this relaxing?" Uh, and like basically, he takes the Red Eye back to just to get some time, just to get to the hotel before the team leaves for the game, mm. and doesn't really sleep the whole time. But wow. And of course, uh, The Bulls head coach had uh, had had some eyes for Eddie walking into the lobby that day.
2: <laughs> Blamed him apparently. There you go. Yeah, and uh, it, it's just a friendship that I've always been tremendously baffled by. Yeah, it's
3: a weird one, man. Yeah. Uh, Dennis is a nut job. Um, well, he, yeah, you know, Dennis definitely. is also buddies with uh, Kim Jong Un. That yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> So they changed the change name to Pearl Jam, which uh, to me is uh, more spludgy than grungy. Good point. You, yeah, there? nicely done.
2: I, I, <laughs> I like. Please tell me that that was not written down and that just came off the dome. I came off the dome and then was written down. It's like, oh, okay. uh, I got to keep this. This is gold, Craig. Fair enough. You're going to love this. <laughs> you're nothing if not honest. All right. Um,
3: so the album cover gives us all sorts of references to the number ten. Uh, it, it, ten hands, ten arms they're all giving 10 or giving five but so that makes a bunch of tens uh, everybody's got 10 <laughs> fingers 10
2: toes right ten ears that's right um, but 12 songs 11 oh uh, 11 sorry uh, well I mean if, it depends on if you're counting the hidden track is 12 well I, I, I suppose I was but uh, I think yeah. I think you, you're- you can see you can see clearly on this mini disc <laughs> copy that the uh track eleven, uh there is no track twelve listed. Uh man, mini disc is kinda like uh the
3: uh Bigfoot of uh formats, you know what I mean? It's like you almost did those exist or didn't they? Uh they clearly did. I am jealous. Yeah. I, I
2: how many mini discs do you own? Well, this is the only pre recorded mini disc that I ever bought. Oh, so it was uh, all for
3: recording for you?
2: It was all recording for me. So right. basically, uh, uh, I'm not going to go off into a mm-hmm. huge de- jag about this, but I recently got back into Minidisc uh, just because it's fun to make discs. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's more fun than playlists. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I used to There's a, uh, there's bootleg- a shot. <laughs> <laughs> I used to uh, bootleg concerts with them. I had a, uh, a semi-portable one. Um and basically just used it mostly for, like, collecting live shows and shit like that. It was it was the step between cassette and recordable CD, which at that time was way out of price range and probably not consumer-friendly. Okay. Uh, so this was, like, 92.
3: Yeah, I remember, like, the, the display at Best Buy was not, like, grand. And it was all, like, yeah. big albums. Kind of like CD was at first. You know, you could get, like, yeah. Thriller or Born in the USA. With, yeah. You know, shit like that. But...
2: Yeah, I think it was more, uh, more. It was. It, I think it might even still be fairly big in Japan. You go on the really? eBay, like there are tons of auctions from Japan for Mini Disc. But yeah, this was the only one I ever bought because I just w- was curious mm-hmm. how it would sound and what the liner notes were like and all that shit. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's comparable to CD. Yeah, you know. but it was fun to bring it out. Is it out lossless and use that. like CD or? Uh, no. So basically it's, it's, I think they call it at track compression, which is comparable to like MP3, okay. but probably sounded better. Like when I listened to it then I didn't really notice a difference, you know? And yeah, you know, you'd probably be hard pressed to like, I never like went and did an AB with them. You know, it was more just like a convenient thing that was cool to bring around, you mm-hmm. know, when you had a portable but um yeah I the, uh, the there is compression on it yeah okay so not truly lossless
3: there you go um, so anybody who has any further questions about the disc technology <laughs> uh, you email Craig at uh, Craig at gmail.com.
2: That- that speech of mine is gonna be at least seven drops in further Cobras and Fire episodes. <laughs> I, I just I can sense it now.
3: I'm still waiting for the right opportunity to use your new setup as show art. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's something else. Yeah, it is, man. It's pretty cool. Uh All right, well, back to Pearl Jam. Um, Yes. Well, the album got decent reviews upon release. Even the crusty octogenarian Robert Crisigo, my favorite guy. (laughs) was waiting for it. uh, Giving it a B minus. That's like an eight on whatever Craig rating you're going to give today. Uh, Yeah, that's that's not bad. uh, Anyway, let's get into the record. What do you say? I'm I'm ready. Well, it opens up d- technically with uh, kind of a little bass riffy kind of Congo thing that they closed the album with. is yeah. now, I thought I stumbled across. I couldn't find it when I went back to get it, but I thought at some point looking into this, I found a place that actually had a name for that song.
2: Do you know that? Yeah, it's called Master Slave. okay. so master th- slash slave I think the um the Japanese pressing actually lists it. I think that's the only CD release that actually gives a title for it. okay.
3: Um, but yeah, so so the the first official listing on on our copies anyway is uh, the song once.
2: Just one of those great album openers. And Pearl Jam, when they played live around this time, were not known for starting a concert with something like this. They would usually do a slow burn. Sometimes still do, and did for many years. Um, but as an album opener, this is just top notch. Like that, just that that opening riff is great, and and then the it's na 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 Right, Uh, and Eddie's vocal delivery on on this is great, and just, you know, the chorus, uh, just so good. A home run, home run opener. Uh, That's that's my one sports reference for this. There you go, yeah. They knocked it out of the park. That's Um, right.
3: Yeah, man, this is a, a ditto, 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 man. This is just it really does you know I didn't connect with this right away because I didn't I think I mentioned in the last episode I actually got on this record probably early 92 somewhere around there and I started with Alive and Even Flow and then it took me a while where I was actually playing the, the record front to back you know pretty much as I would now but i this this song to me is one of the ones that like it you know i know they're a band that mixes up their set list a lot but if i went to a show and curated a set list it would probably have most of this album on it and i would love it if they opened up with this fucking tune
2: yeah this is the show you should have seen the philly show oh man where they did it front to back for the maybe i think they might have done it once in 92 um but uh yeah Uh, a show i missed a show that famously eric texted me and said hey pearl jam's playing tonight you want to go and i was like yeah i'm working late you know Uh, yeah i i i'm old i don't have the mojo and that was the night they played 10 beginning to end
3: wow Um, damn oh so yeah fairly recently you're saying
2: i'm sorry i was thinking from this time but no 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 it was within the last 10 years probably yeah all right yeah i'll get into some of the 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 missed
3: opportunities of seeing these live here i got a little segment for that but what do you got for a rating system this
2: uh episode there craig uh okay uh we're going one through five yeah and uh for this one we are going with uh three backstreet lovers and two indian summers which equals (laughs) five serial killers
3: i don't know if i can restate that Yeah, this one gets five of whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. Maxi lover on the side of the road. Got a bomb on my table and it's going to explode. All right, at some yeah. point, you're, you're going to give you're us like your, the, your,
2: your Eddie impersonation, that, I hope. I, I was just going to say that was that was like the Adam Sandler yeah. uh, <laughs> on Saturday Night Live <laughs> opera man doing Eddie.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to do that cover all time. Magazine, guess no higher.
2: on the album is not the version that ended up uh, in the video we're getting radio airplay. The single version was cut with Dave A. Uh, so um, and you can tell because Eddie has a little soliloquy at the end Okay, um, uh, that this one doesn't. Uh, so uh, sometimes it's, it's weird going back to this one because I've, I've heard the single one for so long. Um, I mean this is a solid song. It, it, it's you forget about kind of the production of it. Like there's something about the chorus that's just got this, I don't know if it's the the low harmony he's singing, but it's just, it's so kind of spookily unexpected. Yeah. Um, I don't really know how else to describe it, but the um, uh, the live versions now kind of don't, th- this, uh, since I've been listening to the Pearl Jam podcast and, and stuff, this is the song that like fans don't want to hear anymore. Uh, oh, really? I'm not at yeah, I'm not at that point yet, but this is like the, you know, they switch their songs up a lot, but you might get even flow 85% of the time. Uh which is probably the highest uh any track in their catalog will get uh in terms of their set list. But I mean, it it's solid. It it at the time did not convert me. Uh I, I was like, "Yeah, you know, this is all right." Uh but I didn't get into Ten until, you know, a couple months after this. Um but solid song you know it's 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 a groover you know
3: yeah and i, and I think i mentioned that uh there was a, a fetching a girl i worked at the college radio station that very much uh uh helped along my pearl jam fandom but uh thankfully the music uh supported her uh her her, her what do you what do you call that when they what the the siren song where they
2: they drive into the rocks yeah, um yeah. anyway um I believe I, you called her fetching on the last episode as well, so that's definitely the adjective.
3: Uh, she was also pretty cool. Uh, we, we were good friends. Um, awesome. But uh, this is the only song by them I've ever actually learned on guitar. Uh, but Really? This whole record, all the way through anyway, I, I've learned a handful of riffs here and there, but they do a probably—you know, everybody talks about the two-guitar attack of Judas Priest, but to me, this is— this is how you use a two guitar attack. This this song is a prime example because like the two rhythm tracks are kind of they're working against each other, but yet in unison. You know what I mean the 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 timing yeah. isn't isn't identical, and just that was very fresh and new to me. You know, I mean at, at that time, and so that was uh, one of the things that
2: drew me to kind of like get into this. Like, what are they doing? Um, yeah, uh, and they complement each other so well oh. when they do different things. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And and like I'm not enough of a guitarist to, you know, like I listened, I listened to something like this uh, or basically throughout their catalog, and I was like, wow, how did they both like come up with what they came up with for this, right? And not fall into the rut of like both playing the riff, you know? They they're great that way.
3: Yeah, and there's a ton of it throughout their catalog where where they they kind of do that. So yeah, if you're looking for a snapshot of, of my point, is this would be a great song to start with. But and I think. I can't tell for sure, but it sounds like Jeff Ament is playing a fretless on this. I don't know. Do you know if he does a lot of fretless? He does a ton of fretless. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, what do you got for a rating here? Is it that same thing? Where we go? It uh,
2: sounds like we have a new one each time. We're gonna have a new one each time. Uh, so uh, this one, as much as I enjoy it, not a favorite. Uh, so this one, I'm giving four dollar bills.
3: Okay. <laughs> this gets five dollar bills for me. So far, it's the perfect dollar. Okay. So. Okay. All right. Up next, uh, the track I was excited to get to just a few minutes ago is uh, the, the the first single, I believe, right? Alive.
2: ultra geeky there's a, uh, a promo single with a a different mix of this mm. um which is which is quite nice uh again didn't grab me when i first heard it but it's hard not to not to get into it now like uh, th- there there are two instances i can give you about like times where the song really got to me um I had bought, in 2000, they put out the entire tour on CD. And I bought all 72 of those motherfuckers. <laughs> um, like I, I worked a block away from a record store, and it was like, okay, I can wait until next week. It, no, I can't. Next day, go and buy another one. Buy another one until I had them all. And they did not play alive live during that whole tour until the last show. Wow. Uh, the 72nd show of that tour, which uh, obviously had to have been a plan. Um, but, uh, when they went into it, like the crowd went ape shit and it was so good. And also in Pearl Jam 20, the ending kind of montage set to them playing this in Philly, um, is just so fucking good. Like it, it's, it's one of those songs that, that is topically incredibly very weird, but the song is just so anthemic and, it's hard to argue with i i really really love it i particularly
3: shockingly love the rock and roll hall of fame performance of this
2: good right yeah it is with with dave
3: cruising yep back in and and playing it so they they couldn't have had a ton of time to rehearse with him i wouldn't think and it is extremely moving and um and and tying it in with that moment of the of being being enshrined and kind of seeing that backdrop of the history of the band and then you know and and how that just kind of pulls yourself into it too like i have been a fan of this band since this yeah. song, you know what i mean? And and just being able to to ride that, you know, it it's still it just it was just masterful
2: um so that that'd be a live performance i would recommend as well but uh yeah. I I was definitely remiss in not including that. So that would absolutely be a third uh incredible per- performance of it.
3: And another band that has aged pretty well as far as looks. They might even look a little better now than they
2: did back in their early yeah. Yeah, agreed. I mean, Stone Gossard was a goofy-looking motherfucker in the oh, 90s. Yeah. He had, he had some really questionable choices over the years. <laughs> All right, what's our rating for Alive going to be? All right, so this one I'm going to give five riffs ripped off from Ace Frehley who ripped them off from Robbie Krieger.
3: Okay, I also give this five uh Ace Frehley riffs ripped off ripped off from Ace Frehley who ripped them off from Robbie Robbie Krieger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh man. You're 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 making this one tough for me, Craig. Uh yeah, so you want to explain they, they set, that one? They
2: settle down as we go on. What's that? You want to explain that a little bit for anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about? Well, for years I'd always heard that um that Stone Gossard ripped off Ace Frehley in this song, and I just never knew what it was. But it's the riff in the solo that goes dan da, 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 da. Which is, I, I think it's taken from She, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, it was Ace Freely ripping it off from five to one by the doors. No, no, the Ace Freely
3: ripoff is almost note for note. <laughs> We're, uh, you can at least say Mike McCready added a little flavor of his own, but. Uh... Okay. Did
2: I say? Did I say Stone Got Wait. Oh wait. I said Stone God. Did or- I say
3: Stone? I meant no. You know, I said Mike McCready. Yeah, I, I said Stone. Okay. Okay. I, but yeah, Mike McCready is who we're talking about. Um. But yeah, yeah. that whatever. I don't know. Maybe I'll drop it in here so people can hear. It. But yeah, it's uh, a <laughs> it's a great rating. <laughs> <laughs> Thank so you. I, I'm at fives across the board. Uh, you have one four. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. All right. So I, clearly, I'm a bigger fan. Um- I, uh, agreed. Yeah, <laughs> Track four. Why yeah, go?
2: It, it took me many, many years to appreciate this one at all. This there, there are two songs on this record that, at the time, uh, I don't know why I didn't get into them. It's not that they're necessarily bad, but I think that they're not the fives that the rest of this mm. album holds. Um, you know, it, it's a, a kind of a, a, a an Eddie Vetter something he'll go back to again. The the narrative of uh, a kid who's you know, parents treated them like shit. And in this case, um, it was written about, uh, a, a friend of his who <clears throat> I believe got kicked out of the house for smoking weed or something like that. um, but I mean, it's good. It's it's got a good groove to it. I, I think that uh, it, it just it doesn't stand amongst the rest of the songs. Still good though.
3: Yeah, I tend to agree a little bit, but I, I do like the song. It's the only one with two words in the title. Um, good point. Uh, That's true. I, I talked to the engineer on this record, Dave Hillis, and I brought that up. Mm. He thought that the titles were all working titles. Like he was surprised oh, really? when he saw the actual album come out, and it's like those are the actual song titles. But
2: uh, that's amazing.
3: Um, yeah, I I uh, I don't have much more to elaborate on it. I do like it. It's it's slotted nice. This is a well sequenced record. Not always the case with some of these grunge bands. But uh, what do we got for a rating on why go? What are we doing
2: here? Uh, I'm going to give this one four years and counting since they put her in this place. <laughs> and wait, so that's four is the rating? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I give it four and maybe, a half. Maybe years. they don't. Maybe they don't get better as they.
3: <laughs> four do. and a half years in counting until they put her in her place.
2: Uh, okay. So I like it a little bit better than you. It turns out. Um, again, yeah. bigger fan. Yeah, but you know what? The, the other thing about this is, like, when I did verses, I think I came into it with fives across the board, and I was like, I need to kind of dumb some of these down. Oh, okay, so, yeah. So you know, I think both of these albums are pretty close to ten. Like, I'm, I'm nitpicking basically you know fair enough Uh, i say uh be be true to yourself craig uh yeah but i mean there's no uh, get it straight there's no read my body on either of these records Mm. like these records will do you good beginning to end imagine if we could get pearl jam to to play read my body live that's got to be a petition in the (laughs) if greg troyan hasn't already put it out there into the universe (laughs) he will after Uh, hearing this oh
3: my god he wants a mashup of meatloaf doing the frozen two soundtrack There Uh you
2: go. That sounds about right.
3: (laughs) The next song, Black.
2: What do you got here, Craigle? It's considered widely one of their absolute best. There is a performance, I think it's the Pink Pop performance, um, that fans kind of look at as the just absolute master version of this in a live format, and also the Unplugged performance, which I think probably did went a long way for introducing people to this song because it wasn't a single per se, but being on MTV unplugged definitely brought it into the living rooms of people who might not have heard it otherwise. And just what an emotive performance, Jesus Christ. Uh, the, um, it's just got one of those, uh, the whole song is great. Uh, and it's got one of those tropes I love where they kind of just take three chords, uh, with one riff over, you know the same riff over each chord and just repeat it in threes and it just it works so well uh i remember being in a band and you know uh w- the guitar player mocking me about about pearl jam because i was huge into them at the time and he would just walk around and i was like that's not all the song is you dick like yeah it's the it's the hook of the song but that's the part it is. I, I mean, yeah, we could have, yeah, somebody in this room come up with something that good and then mock me about it. Yeah, exactly. And listen to the four other minutes of the song. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's it works so well. And, and did that you, day the band was broken up. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, did you see, I can't remember if we talked about it on the verses episode, but when he comes out on Letterman. I have that uh, noted, and, yes. That, uh, yeah. I'm going to
3: drop that in here, man. Uh, wow. Do me a favor, later why? tonight, get a clock on the. Hey, 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 hey. I want to find out
0: how long, how long yeah. that section is. Hey, hey,
1: hey, hey. yeah. cool. You know what? Uh? Do you want to really know how that's done? Yeah. Have it done right? Do it right. for me. Do it for me. Okay, Eddie?
3: Huh? Wait a minute. Eddie? No. <laughs> fucking love that and the fact oh, it's that it's so great it, it, it was a surprise to david letterman like yeah uh so, so to, to set it up because i think we did talk about it but i don't remember if we went into detail but dave was a fan of the band and apparently he just would look into the camera and pester eddie like eddie <laughs> come on the show eddie
2: and so they arranged it when eddie was but, but i believe that i believe that when he did that like paul schaefer would start playing yeah like that that riff was kind of along with the gag. So so the the setup is, is that Dave starts
3: talking about it um you know again and and like and Dave actually does that he kind of leans into the mic like do 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 and then like so. Do you want me to play a little bit of that uh, that Pearl Jam song for you, Dave? So yeah, they start playing Black, and then out of nowhere, Eddie Vedder walks on and he does that. Oh no, someday I'll have a beautiful life, and then he walks off, and then Dave
2: just gets so up he takes a b- microphone out of his jacket yeah, pocket. Right. <laughs> it's <laughs> so great. <laughs> Got to paint the picture here, yeah. uh, and then yeah, and and it was a weird. I kinda... think it was like it was ninety six or something like. Yeah, that. Yeah, it was it later on. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I think it was. It might have even been '98, like around no code. It was, you know, Eddie looking cool. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm starting to sound like Liam McCormick. What's what, what happened to me? Oh man! Um, but what a great yeah. It was. Look it up on the YouTube if you haven't seen it. It's, yeah, it's I'll really probably good.
3: share it in, as uh, on the in the Facebook group too. But yeah, it is. Yeah. It is just classic. Yeah, and then I just love the way he walks off, goes off the side the stage door he came in. And David Letterman gets up from the desk and actually falls him out, <laughs> and the camera goes I and mean, he's literally gone.
4: Uh, yeah,
3: like, there was no like call back to talk or have him on the show or anything. It was just in and out. it was it was perfect, very uh. cool. and I've actually uh, I, I saw a, a live performance of Colbert there when I was in New York City, so I actually felt like I was in the room, Craig. Oh, wow. That's awesome. There you go. (laughs) I love it. Uh, All right. So what's our... uh, I I don't have much more to add to Black. I think it's a fucking fantastic tune. Um, It was one of the early songs that grabbed me outside of Alive and Even Flow. What do we got for a rating here? Uh, We have five kids at play. I give it five
2: kids at play as well. I I would give it ten kids if I could, so... Yeah, I, I mean uh, the live version. I believe you. The li- any live version will push it to ten. Once he gets to that "We Belong Together" bit, uh, fucking insane, yeah. insanely good. Yeah. Always good. The well, side one closes out with Jeremy. Song that that drew me into Pearl Jam, like I said, uh, alive and even flow. You know, I, I stopped listening to what was current probably before this. So like, I wasn't getting a, a steady dose of Pearl Jam on the radio, and and anything that I would have gotten would have been through seeing the videos on MTV. Seeing Jeremy was just like, okay, I can't. Th- this is a band I'm not going to be able to resist anymore. Like, this is fucking great um, played to, you know, uh, me as a, uh, you know, somebody who was a couple years out of high school and, you know, wasn't the Jeremy, but was close enough in terms of like, you know, uh, being teased or all that shit to kind of relate to the subject matter. Uh, and, uh, it was after seeing that video that i went out and bought the cd so this is really the song that kicked it off for me and um it's another one of those songs that i think people and, and look as much play as alive and even flow got on mtv jeremy probably quadrupled it yeah. like that was the video that you could not yeah. escape uh and i think that again you know it it made Pearl Jam not make another video until like 1998 uh, because it just – and of course there was like a uh, a copycat thing um, that kind of got pinned on them. I don't think it didn't get into the crazy aspects of like the Aussie suicide solution thing, but it was something that they got tagged with. So uh, it was like, okay, we're not going to make videos anymore after this. But I don't think – and the song has never, ever lost its shine for me. Like, I hear it now and I still see the genius in it. And Mm -hmm. it's really – you know, it's not conventional. Um, It's kind of based around uh, Jeff's 12-string bass riff. It kind of stays on A most of the time. Uh, And it's just – it's an experiment in dynamics. In fact, there's a a version they played – I think it was in 95 and they released it as a fan club single where they kind of play it with the arrangement backwards. So they start the song and it's got that din, 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 from the end and he starts singing like the first verse over that and then the chorus, but it doesn't like it doesn't lift up and it's it's really weird. And, and so like the lyrics go forward, but the arrangement plays backwards and wow. it ends it ends with a doom do doo do 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 and it's really weird. And I think they might have played it that way a couple times and didn't stick with it, but it was a, a, a cool thing to hear. It's uh, one of their fan club singles, and I'm sure it's it's on YouTube. It, it, you can find it under the titles New Jeremy and Know Jeremy, which I think is what they called it on the fan club single. Okay. Um, it's really cool to hear, just kind of like really switching it up. It's, it's sad to me that more bands –
3: Don't approach their craft with that mentality of like, let's just do things, let's, let's, let's like, let's mess around. Like, um, and I think, uh, when we talk about like the difference between like, because everybody wants to say, well, hair metal ran its course and grunge was just the next thing. Well, that's not necessarily wrong, but. Hair metal bands didn't fucking think like that. They didn't really think yeah. like a creative entity. They they thought more of like a product. If I get this good and get this talented, I can do this, and then I'll get this. And it just yeah. seems like Pearl Jam is really more driven, and a lot of these bands are. But I, I really appreciate any band that is driven by just the idea. You know what I mean? I want to do yeah. this. You know, and it doesn't always have to be good. It doesn't always have to land. But uh, it, and I'd like to think. That's how I you know approach stuff when I was, you know, working more with, with my uh, partner Treble. But um I really I really enjoy fucking around with things and trying stuff a little differently. I never had to worry about the pressures of money influencing me though. Sure. So uh,
2: <laughs> do do you, do you know who you just described? Who's that? Fish. Bummer. Oh, you fuck. I hate the fish. At every sentence you got deeper and deeper in yeah, and I'm but like, he's, just he's one talking thing about over and over again is not experimenting that's not true you oh, come on don't don't be ignorant i can't wait until you do your fish side cast i'm there for it all right well uh the the fish with Baco. that's right
3: <laughs> <laughs> i like it uh, or maybe we should just call it fishing with Baco. um i like it i like that too uh, all right well before we get into side two i've already you've already been on the show so we don't have to get into any of those uh stock uh well wait we didn't rate this oh give me your ratings. sorry sorry uh, I'm giving Jeremy five blackboards. Oh, I also give it five bl- blackboards. Uh, uh, okay. Absolutely love this song. Uh, you know, I, I will like to, st- I guess I, I should comment a little bit on the tune. When I first w- we listened to the album, it, it was a great tune. But now when I listen to it, it almost stands out like a separately produced track. Like it just sounds yeah. sonically a little different than the other tunes. Um, but I think that has a lot to do with the fact that you know of the timing and the video it, it you know that was the first really like scripted kind of shot music video the other ones were just live yeah. live performance ones so i don't know that it actually necessarily does i think it's my mind playing a trick on me based on how like you said i mean even flow was just beat to death on mtv for about 2 months this was even more so and for a yeah. longer period of time but uh agreed um,
2: but i mean this is another one of those songs that's got you know, kind of the, and look, I, I, we'll probably talk about this as we go, but I, I prefer the Redux mixes to the original. But the one thing that the original, I mean, the Redux has them too, obviously, but the original kind of introduces the kind of again, much like Evenflow, the spooky background vocals, and you get it in this too. Like I think it's a combination of like the reverb and effects they use and the notes mm-hmm. that Eddie chose. Which are, you know, don't feel to me, and I'm not an expert, but don't feel to me like conventional background vocals.
3: Well, before we get into side two then, Craig, uh, last time you were on, we got into all the stock questions I ask everybody. So I have kind of more of a a few talking points we can get to. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think in hindsight, there is this effort with a lot of these bands to kind of say, well, they're more this or more that. It's not grunge, all that kind of stuff. Um, This record in particular is... Often, kind of like rebranded as classic rock, thing grunge, but with any musically valid movement, there's always some derivative nature to it, and that kind of stuff. Being there, looking back at the time, this is yet yeah, you're not going. This is not classic rock to me. It, it might be in the sense of time now, but this was very fresh at the time. This did not sound. Like Kingdom Come did, you know what I mean with that band? Right. You know, this was while it had influences buried in the roots of like seventies hard rock. Mm -hmm. There was a very fresh angle to the songwriting, the musicianship, and this was like kind of like more like the next step forward. I think it's easy now, twenty years, thirty years later, to say, oh, that's you listen to
2: that. That's like something you'd listen to on, you know, KQ or something like that. You know. And I think the production. Uh, really stands out on this and really kind of separates it from that stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you could argue that Pearl Jam that comes after this would be more in tune with classic rock. Like, I... Oh, good point. I, I always kind of consider... i say it starting with pe- Vitalogy because I thought Versus
3: was a yeah. really kind of ear-shattering kind of... It was a big step forward
2: from this. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, I, I think, to me, like... All Eddie Vedder ever wanted was to be in a band like The Who. And, and loved by his that, father. Yeah. He wanted and, two uh, things.
3: He wanted to be in The Who, and he wanted
2: his dad to love him. Uh, no question. <laughs> and uh, uh, and and Pete Townshend was probably a, a bit of a surrogate dad for him at, at some points in his life. Uh, but um, I, And I think they were successful in doing that. I think uh, – I probably said it in the last episode, but I think – Pearl Jam just kind of continued as a kick ass rock and roll band in a time where um I mean obviously uh Gene Simmons has told us all rock is dead obviously he's he's never said anything untoward um, so uh why not believe that but uh, but yeah i think I think w- when you talk about this album i think I think the production plays a big part in that because there is for as much of a rock band as Pearl Jam is, there's a sheen on ten that isn't really on any of their other records and i think it it's lost a little bit on the redux version but it's definitely a sound choice that i think made it different from Nevermind. you know like uh absolutely that was what was great
3: about that time though that 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 it's gone now every album that comes out now seems to have the exact same fucking production qualities um but yeah all those albums stick out sonically different you know what i mean and it, yeah. and that was basically the way it went for
2: every genre of music at that time other than country sure. and right. and reggae exactly and and the thing that i learned this week <laughs> after uh listening to your episode with uh the decibel geeks hmm. <laughs> was that i knew uh i knew four of those records probably that really? you mentioned uh, yeah there, there were not very many uh does um, that mean you're not voting uh, it, Uh, my votes would, would just be on album covers alone. I I think I knew I knew the, probably the only records out of those I knew were the kiss ones. Um, belly to belly. I knew, uh, but I don't know that I knew, you know, that was just stuff I never got into. So I I thought that that would come up at some point here. Obviously, I thought we were going to talk dick in the box, but anyway, (laughs) (laughs) that's, that's later. That's, uh, that's, that's later. Um, So, you know, this is more what I was into around that point. Mm -hmm. So for me to kind of compare it to anything else that was going on is probably a little disingenuous of me because, you know, I was ignorant to a lot of stuff. I was always kind of hyper-focused on what I liked and didn't really jump outside of that. And that didn't really overlap to, you know, metal that wasn't, you know, or even just like uh, uh, more – serious rock that wasn't pop you know like i was always big kiss fan always a big maiden fan but always just had my little pockets and never really ventured outside of those so yeah very long-winded way of saying
4: <laughs> yeah, you
2: know yeah it, yeah it was unique
3: <laughs> well I, I ever since i've heard the the redux version that's all i've listened to you know, when I go to this record. But uh, after speaking with Dave Hillis, I went back to the original version and I stand by what he said and I kind of felt that way when I first heard about the Pearl Jam Redux. This wasn't an album that was screaming to be remixed and remastered. Um, Yeah, it's weird. uh, But at the same time, it's really cool because it shows you what can be done if you want to actually do it. You know what I mean? And not just go in and boost the EQ and add a little bass you know um which is what most remasters are um that there really isn't any sonically driven effort to to improve it um so i because yeah. i would love to see it on, on a lot of classic records where you just dial
2: everything back pull the effects off and start over you know what i mean so well you know that we need stephen wilson to do that for basically every album that exists in my opinion van halen too but why not <laughs> why not he um he did uh he did a remix of he he actually started remixing I think starting with King Crimson and then like Jethro Tull he's been remixing the catalog uh, uh, Stephen Wilson from Porcupine Tree my favorite band and artist um, started remixing uh, uh bands catalogs usually for surround as part of like anniversary sets but okay. he did a phenomenal job on. Uh, Tears for Fears' "Songs from the Big Chair" by stripping away all of the '80s reverb, which made it just a solid. I mean, it was a great record to begin with, great songs, but made it a solid sounding record. So I'm down for Stephen Wilson like remixing anything, <laughs> um, and I and I enjoy uh, when shit's remixed. Like I always enjoy hearing. Yeah, if, if it's a record I, I don't I'm like close it, to, you know, I, yeah, if I don't like it, I'll go back to the original. It's not, you know, the. These purists that get so upset that the Beatles catalog was remixed like the Giles Martin Sergeant Pepper. Oh, but Sergeant those are Pepper so is, good, man. I, yeah, I'm told I'm an idiot for liking those, but god damn, man. If you can take something that I've listened to all my life, probably the most revered catalog of all time, and just, yeah, maybe it was meant to sound that way, but when you blow it out into an entire 3D picture, like, that's fucking amazing. Like that that's an experience and I I think that those remixes are great. Um it's not being George Lucas where the
3: originals no. being fucking destroyed and then right. some really early level shitty CGI which looks right. like a fucking cardboard cutout <laughs> was replaced. You know, yeah. this is solid starting over and and really digging into the project properly as yeah. if you were there when it was being made. And then exactly. also not eliminating history by like not making the other one available anymore. It's it's yeah. perfectly fine. Like you said, if you don't like it, go to the original. I, I I with Kiss Destroyer, I will listen to the original more than that that resurrected. But I enjoyed
2: listening to it. Yeah, I mean that was yeah it was fine. I, I with resurrected, I didn't think that there was enough of a change. I mean, it sounded a little cleaner. Cleaner. I, I think that you were able to remove, like, generations of shit, but, like, a lot of those effects that Ezrin does are baked in on the tape. Yeah, he,
3: it's called wet recording, and that's his yeah, process. Yeah, like, you can't... Plus, yeah, he, he, he records, records the, the the drums. Like, he doesn't individually track them. He, he pulls Ooh. them into one board, gets right. his levels where he wants, and then bounces that to just a stereo track. So if yeah. he wants to crank up the kick drum, he's cranking everything up, you know, so... Yeah. So he yeah. was so limited on what he could do because of his own stupid fucking
2: process. Exactly. Well that you know, that's what the cocaine does to you in mm. nineteen seventy six.
3: I, I I've hammered on it a few times, but I think if you want to do a quick fix on eighties metal records, just mm. take the fucking Reaver, make you put a dry snare through all those records oh. and they'll sound way better.
2: Yeah. Um, Crazy what that will do! <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's
3: a, a huge difference. Um, yep. Well, back to Pearl Jam though. Now you mentioned yes. something early on that uh, Ed, Eddie's is the voice of grunge, and again, everybody looks to to Nirvana as a thing. I think fashion wise, you know, because it became kind of a look. Pearl Jam had the biggest impact, especially yeah. Eddie and his Doc martin boots, Jeff Ament's stupid fucking hats. I mean, you talked about Stone Goffers goofy looks. Both him and Mike McCready kind of had some weird, weird hat choices at times. But <laughs> That's I, true. I'd go to parties and see people trying to replicate that kind of image, and that um, that stick figure uh, a logo that they had that was on t-shirts that was yep. fucking everywhere, and that kind of epitomized the grunge look. You know yeah, um it, probably more than any of the, the big four I thought image wise they hit home, and there was a lot of stuff that crossed over. I mean, I would say um Mike Starr from Allison Chains very much had that grunge look too, you know,
2: but uh yeah, uh, yeah, so for what it's worth, I think the fashion was driven by them, yeah, uh, no question. Uh, I'll never forget uh, if the conversation about the black uh did riff uh during band rehearsal was uh the first step in the argument me showing up to a gig in shorts <laughs> and flannel what was the nail in the coffin oh it's like out. yeah yeah i was trying to i was trying to push us towards that direction it was a classic rock band, and they were like, yeah, fuck you. You shouldn't be wearing shorts, and we will not. I definitely bought into the shorts. Uh, I, I was not able to afford Doc Martens. I had, yeah,
3: I neither. don't know, some fucking Kmart brand a boot, but uh, uh, yep. I, I still tried to pull it off. Um, but, you know, it was such an awkward time for me. It was, like, it was difficult <laughs> to do anything proper. Uh, Yellow Leadbetter was recorded during this. Uh, let me ask you this, Craig. What yep. is your favorite lyric from Yellow better? I would say that my favorite lyric is.
2: Uh... <laughs> yeah, what would you? You so you would give it five? I, I would. I would give it five. Uh, probably five in that own way
3: It is a fun tune, but this one—if you want to go classic rock. This is a little more than derivative
2: of Little Wing, at least that opening riff. Oh yeah. Um, well, lips. I mean, that's what it was. They were they were fucking around yeah. in rehearsal. Yeah, and that's why it doesn't have real lyrics. It was, I mean, it was a goof kind of B side that, amazingly, I'll never forget the first time I heard it on the radio. I mean, I knew it as a B side. Yeah, that was one of the reasons I got in a Pearl Jam was because yeah, what, what single was it on? It was on the Jeremy single. Okay. I think it had that and Footsteps, which is the third part of the trilogy that we didn't even talk about. The, uh, the, um, the, the demo tape that Eddie sent back with his vocals uh, <laughs> is the first thing he recorded. It was uh, Once, Alive, and Footsteps. Okay. And it was a story called the Mamasan Trilogy. And Footsteps didn't come out until the Jeremy single. It was a performance that they did on Rockline. Um, in '91 or '92, and ended up becoming a B-side, uh, which is also a great song. It's also um, that's a nice drop. There, it's- rock line, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you ever want to see the difference between, uh, like, what fame can do to Eddie Vedder, <laughs> listen to like the '91 or '92 rock line, and then listen to the '93 one. Where he is either putting it on or fucking stoned out of his gourd because, and I bought into all of it. I know yeah. I talked about this in the last yeah. one. I was way into tortured artist Eddie, you know, and Eric wouldn't have it. He was like, "Yeah, you so always have to like pose for pictures like he has a headache." And I was like, "Hey, fuck you, man. He's got a lot going on."
0: Yeah,
3: he's
2: deep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, where did Merkin? Ball- yeah, Yellow Better was just a, a jam session that. Eddie just sang some bullshit on top of, and it gets mocked for Our that reason. But, yeah. You know, that's essentially what it was. It was just like a throwaway that, you know, radio glommed onto. Yeah, I do for, like it, but. Yeah, I do too. I mean, but it also became like their big closing number. Uh, you know, as much as they switch up their set lists, you probably have a 50% chance of going out on Yellow led- Ledbetter. And when I. I think the last time I saw them McCready would uh like just end with like an extended guitar solo and throw riffs of like random shit into there and then the night I went in Philly we got number of the beast mm, nice. which was uh which was pretty sweet. That's pretty uh that's hard to even f- I'm trying to fit that in my head here. How does that uh- it, it was out of nowhere. He uh. was just like noodling and then all of a sudden doon 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 doom doon Oh, man, when I have a mouthful of water, it's that's it's not the time.
3: On the tour cycle, they were part of what I consider to be the pinnacle of Lollapalooza's. And that was the 92 yeah. one with uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers um, during the Blood Sugar Sex, uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic record. Uh, Soundgarden, yep. of course, touring for Bad Motorfinger. And then it had Ministry and Ice Cube to kind of give you kind of just a, a pretty broad spectacle yeah. i i if there was one that i could have seen it would have been this one. Oh yeah uh and were, we're
2: pumpkins part of that one i guess the, maybe next not. year i, I, I think it, 93 was pumpkins and allison chains okay because pearl jam toured with uh chili peppers and pumpkins yeah and um I told the story last time about a friend of mine that got to hang with all three bands right? Uh, when they played Penn State. Uh, mm-hmm. they by, decided not to go Kyle, golfing no, or
3: something with Eddie? or
2: Yeah, yeah, miniature golfing yeah. or something like that. Um, Kyle, who's no longer with us, but uh, photographed them. Uh, a picture of, of Eddie that he photographed ended up in Guitar World. I have that uh, autographed by Eddie and on my wall. That's pretty um, amazing. Yeah, so that was uh, that. That's a uh, and I, I'm not a big Chili Peppers fan, but I mean, I definitely take a night where there was Pearl Jam and Smashing Pumpkins. Smashing mm. Pumpkins pre Siamese Dream would have been something really interesting to see. That 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 record in particular
3: to me is just a banger. Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Um, really? Yeah, I, I, I don't I, do much for them e- before.
2: Or okay, after, though. they never did it for me, but I never listened to an album beginning to end. So. Maybe that's my mistake. Let's get
3: into uh, side two. Yes. Well, it opens up with oceans.
1: Hold on to the drain. The currents will shift. Glide me to.
2: This is one that if you're not familiar with the live catalog, might kind of go by um unnoticed it's short um it's more kind of a vibe uh but they opened their shows with this a lot really um oh, yeah, you mentioned yeah. that they open up with a lot of kind of slow ones so yeah they would usually it would be like oceans into even flow or or something like that um but uh for for that aspect and I really like that um Not a lot of bands do it, but I kind of always liked the kind of just mood opener and then just fucking slamming into Mm. even flow or once, you know, um, that one, two punches is really, uh, impactful when you open up with something that's kind of just like, uh, I want to say like meditative, you know, it's got that kind of quality to it. Uh, I love oceans. I think, I think it's a great song. Um, and you forget, or I did, kind of like the the vocal effects that are really prominent on the original mix, like the flange on eddie 's voice uh, <laughs> the, the not on the redux, when I went back and listened to it again, I was like wow i i'd forgotten that the you know this was how they produced this um, but it, but there was also a video for this, oddly enough i don 't think it was shown in America. But hmm. it's it's just uh, kind of them in the ocean, and that's literally it. Uh, I think <laughs> this was – and I don't believe this was a single here. I think it was a single in the UK. Yeah, I thought it was weird uh, that it
3: showed up on the Wikipedia page as a single, but
2: – Yeah, I mean, that's a problem with Wikipedia. They, they often just lump all the singles yeah. together. But I think it was a UK single. There was definitely a CD single for it with a remix and I think like three live tracks. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I really dig this one. Good lyrics, but the song.
3: Uh, we're, we're starting to get into a little bit of territory where things. If, if there's weak stuff on here, this would probably be. Oh, there's only one song that I that I have
2: a lower rating for than this. So um, let's just skip okay. to that. What what are, what are we rating this one? Unlike you, I am going to uh, give this one. I will be there once, twice, thrice, four ice, five <laughs> times more. I
3: will be there once, twice, thrice, and a half times more okay. uh, so it's a it, good
2: good good keeping up by the way nicely nicely done. yeah i did better on that one than most of them
3: <laughs> um, but uh yeah it, now again a lot of these things for me it's it's how it fits and on and the record this is one of those albums that when I listen to, I really don't, you know, make, you know, let's pop to the next one, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I like it where it's at. Um, it, it's a nice little break between Jeremy and and into a porch, but, um, it it is just if, as a standalone track, just not my favorite. But uh, with- you know what?
2: You, you make a good point. This might have served better as a B side, um, mm-hmm. with something else like. Uh, you know, I I don't know that I can forgive you guys for how you trash State of Love and Trust because that's probably in my <laughs> top five pearl jam songs of all.
3: No, time. I think it was just me that trashed it. Uh, I think okay. I think Andy, yeah, Andy Shaw enough. actually it,
2: defended it. Yeah, it, weird. Um, State of Love and Trust. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, they had a, there was another song of theirs, was Wash, which was a, a slow B side, which was also used as a mm. show opener. So I tend to I tend to really like those, but I, I do wonder if. Maybe uh, the placement of something more upbeat than this might have done the the album better as a whole. Hmm. Who knows? It
3: did did okay, so I don't know that they're over- Yeah, I I mean, yeah. uh, Shouldn't really be (laughs) second-guessing it too much. (laughs) The next track, one I know that uh, Fetching Young Lady that I used to work at the radio station with, she was a big fan of Porch.
1: What the fuck is this world Run into you didn't Leave a message at least I Could have learned your voice one last time about you, would you hit me? Would you hit me? the middle. there ain't gonna be any middle anymore, and the cross I'm bearing home ain't indicted till for my place, left the force, left the force.
2: interesting going back to the album because you might tend to forget that it's essentially just like a uh i don't know how long is it it's it's three and a half minutes uh most live versions are around 10 to 12 because this (laughs) is where this is where eddie decides he's going to try to cheat death uh yet another time this is the the song yeah uh uh, specifically during this time uh, again maybe worth watching the pearl jam 20 just for the footage where they show him just like a goddamn maniac swinging from the rafters at like various clubs and then like at pink pop he's on the um he's on the 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 crane the camera crane with the guy that's filming and he's trying to like gesture like get me out over the audience and they're like what the the fuck are you gonna do and he ends up like jumping off the crane into the audience Uh, i had to be fun Uh, for the people he landed on oh yeah absolutely big moment Uh, it's great it's great footage to see because you can tell Eddie's annoyed. The camera dude is like, "I don't know what you want me to do." Yeah. like it's <laughs> it's really great. But of course, you'll see also an even flow. Uh, him kind of yeah. jumping off the off the balcony thing and just all that kind of stuff. So this becomes now, do you think he just song. had really
3: good uh, shoulder and
2: bicep strength, or does he only like weigh like sixty pounds? So he's kind of like a bird. A combination of both. Okay. Um, You know, and it's interesting to watch the documentary because uh, I think Stone says something like, yeah, every time he did it, I was like – dude, I don't want to be in another band where my lead singer dies. Just like, don't, don't, what the fuck are you doing? But I mean, it's, it's amazing to watch, you know, years after the fact. Uh, so they would usually like jam this out in a way, not unlike the fish from Vermont and, uh, keep the groove going. Um, and always, you know, when it kicked back in after he would jump or come down or whatever, uh, it was always like super fast and really good. So, um, so it works for me as a live track. I never really had much for the studio version of it. Uh, mm. it's, it's kind of a weird little song, you know, uh, and, and it's an interesting choice that it became the one that uh, they would use to, uh, to stretch out towards the end of the show. And, of course, uh, on the MTV Unplugged, this is the, the one where uh, no rafters to climb, so he stands on a stool and write, writes pro-choice on his arm yeah. while trying to balance himself on a stool. Which, as a diminutive uh,
3: figure, he probably was not as hard as it, it might be for it, someone of your stature or mine. So. No doubt. Uh, I love this track. Um, you know, it uh, it definitely is one that it's weird because as much as I like it, I I always kind of like forget that it's there. But then when it comes yeah. up, I'm like, "Fuck this tune!" Just. It just knocks it out of the park. Another sports referencer.
2: The other thing that's weird about it is, I mean, you know, for years, I know it as a song that's towards the end of the set. To think that this is like the second song on side two is just, it's weird placement. <laughs> you,
3: know? you know, and it's weird, too, because I think um, these stories that you talk about with the live performance to bring up kind of a... a, a and a, a neat dichotomy between how you and I look at this, because really for me, per, I've never seen Pearl Jam live. I was actually planning on going to this last tour. Uh, oh wow. b- Before everything got shut down for COVID, just because I'm like, how is it not almost by happenstance that at some point, you know, because like a lot of my friends were into these guys too, that I would yeah. just end up going, but I, I never have. But for me, it is all the studio recordings. Digging into that stuff you sent me was really the first kind of experience that I had delving into them as a live band heavily
2: anyway. I think since the last time we talked, we probably talked about the radio. They did a radio thing uh, like a week before Kurt died, I think. I think April 24. Yes. Um, and they just released it through uh, the, the 10 Club membership thing as a digital download. Um, and they've been... They've put out certain vault releases. They've put out a, a couple from the 10 Tour, a couple from Vitology. Um, and those are always great. Uh, I, I think their shows kind of. There's something about these early shows that just have a real charm to them. And it's not to say there's anything bad about the shows that come later, but uh, the shows around this time were just so good. Uh, and they're, they're playing ferociously. You know, even when Eddie is fucked up. It makes for an interesting <laughs> show and not necessarily a sloppy one. Yeah, um, you know, it just kind of affects his banter. Uh, so yeah, definitely worth checking out all that stuff.
3: Right on. Um, what do we uh, got for a rating system for porch? Uh,
2: for porch, I have four messages left.
3: Okay, I, I'll give it five messages left. This to me is uh, fair enough. We're getting back on track here. Uh, yeah. uh,
2: up next, I, I think only be, only because live ones, I would definitely give five.
3: Okay, well, fair enough. Um... Up next we have Garden. <laughs>
2: curious to know what what your thoughts are on this because this is an absolute favorite of mine um it's uh, more kind of about the guitar interplay yeah uh which i think on the redux i think they pull up guitars that you can't hear on the original there's it's it's more fleshed out Yeah, and the arrangement's really good um this is just kind of like a, a more of an experiment in dynamics the verses really are kind of mumbly and not much there but the the chorus i i think is is really good it's got a great breakdown it comes back in really well um yeah t- this one's uh the high up there for me
3: uh same here i this is one of my favorite oh, wow. tracks okay. on here um, I, I love that, that, just the, the smoothness of that chorus that I will walk, yeah. um, it just, it, it, always like, if I'm not paying attention, that instantly will distract me from whatever my mind's at, you know? Right. Um, but the whole song in general, everything you just talked about. And, and again, this is one that the redux really does, you know, help out quite a bit. Um, definitely. So yeah, I, 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 I think, uh, I'm ready for whatever we're going to use for a rating garden. What do you got here?
2: Uh, garden is definitely five shadow flags. okay I also give it five shadow flags so. Good
3: Well the the next track then we have is deep. <laughs>
2: Uh, is the other one along with Why Go that, uh, you know, just never did it for me. And this is one that kind of still doesn't. uh, This is kind of the nadir of the record for me. Um, And I don't know why. It's kind of weird when you look at those early shows. Why Go and Deep are usually back to back. I don't know if it was a kind of thing where it was just a part of the show I wasn't into. I don't know. Uh, I know that those songs kind of didn't stick around on the set list. You know, for you know, uh, much longer uh, once they had more albums out. Uh, So this one, I'll listen to it. But there were many years where this was a skip for me. I go back and forth with this
3: one. There are times that like I really like it, but then when I sat down for this, I'm like, Mm -hmm. eh. You know, uh, this really is kind of milk toast. This is not one that I don't know. Maybe it's just a vibe thing. Maybe I just gotta like. I, I need to be at a keg party in a basement because it's winter, and someone's cranking this and it really resonates. Yeah. But uh, when I just you know sit and listen to it, I'm kind of with you. It just it, it it doesn't seem to to have that same draw or appeal
2: that sometimes it does, and I really don't have an explanation for it. Um, yeah, I mean there there is one bit I really like. Uh, I, I think maybe I'm not as into the verses. I think the choruses are decent. Yeah, but there's the one chorus that kind of keeps. The momentum up and the, the it keeps going. Boom, 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 Yeah. boom, Like that part Didn't is really, te- really good. You know, I feel like I listen to get to that part really, yeah. And then that <laughs> the might be it, man. Is, that might be it because uh, I, I think that's the bit for me. All right, what do we? Uh, what are we using to rate deep? Okay, well, this one we have uh, uh, two great views and one view she doesn't like, so a total of three views. <laughs> Can I just say ditto? Yeah, <laughs> two great, two great views
3: and one view she doesn't like that much. Did I get that right? Yeah, close enough. He says. All close right. <laughs> well, it closes with release.
1: I see.
2: along with oceans often used as an opener um god that's it, just weird to me i i gotta check that out i gotta try to yeah explain. i, I I'll, I'll send you like a show you gotta kind of see it on video yeah it you know usually kind of the it's backlit like usually like a the band will be kind of dark and the the back lights will be red and then like as soon as they pop in the second song spotlights come on okay you know, so it's 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 really a groove um uh, written about his father, uh, a, a bit of an emotional song. As I mentioned in the last episode, the um, the original CD and the mini disc as well does not have the lyrics for it, and the Redux does. But I was reminded um, I have the uh, the songbook for ten, and it says.
4: Then I, uh, is that oh,
2: tablature yes. or just uh, the regular? Yeah, this is tablature. Okay. Um, for release, it's got the the, the guitar uh, tab, but at the bottom it says, "Due to contractual restrictions, the lyrics to release cannot be reprinted in this book."
0: What the? So hell? not
2: even in the sheet music for release are the lyrics printed. Um, Do you know what that's so it, about at all? No, because in the Redux, it's got Eddie's handwritten, or you know, it could have been a more recent version of it. In the original CD, it just says "release" with a kind of gradient behind yeah. it and no lyrics. Um, I always just thought maybe kind of too personal. Um, I also think that also in in verses, uh, indifference is not printed, which is the last track there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it was only originally in the cassette or something like that. So, I think maybe just trying to kind of keep a privacy or an air of mystery around it. Okay, you know, uh, would be my guess, but. Uh, this, uh, if you've seen the, um, and I recommend if you haven't seen it. Have you seen 2 Play 10? No. Where they play at Wrigley Field? Okay. Um, it's, uh, a show they do at Wrigley Field, but, um, it's kind of. Sounds like a great title done. for a
3: podcast. Y-
2: yeah, right? <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I like it. Um, it's, it, it's intermingled with a bit of baseball history and, uh, uh, if you're into that sort of thing, or even if not, I I enjoyed it. Um, but this song kind of plays a, a big role in the in the film, which is which is nice. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I I really dig it. And I think that the bootlegs, listening to bootlegs and live performances, helped it along. Uh, uh, where I think it really really shines. But yeah, I, I think that this is a, a really good one. Interesting kind of riff, kind of like a Doorsy. Yeah. Remind you of like the end or something like that That kind of just like drones on one chord And kind of moves it off a little bit When you get to the hook But kind of the whole song is kind of Really centered around that little riff on the D You know And and drone
3: is the perfect word Because there is especially during that first verse Kind of almost that like That kind of just hovers over it um, I, I I love this song. This is a perfect way to end this record it's it's such a great yeah. closer um, and it's weird because um you know relationships with a father is not a huge topic in in rock and roll and and that that to me adds a lot to the freshness of what Pearl Jam brought and I know that you know that was largely this record where he addressed those kind of things um you know with you know the songs like Alive and 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 whatnot but uh it 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 definitely added to it you know um I mean I always had a good relationship with my father so it wasn't like I, I connected with it on that but um it is weird you know as you get to be an adult and and now you're (laughs) <laughs> the, the, the relationship fathers and sons have takes on a much different role and maybe that was a really sure. good time for me to, to kind of hear this kind of stuff but this song uh, it, it's just, it, it just shows the brilliance of Eddie Vedder working with these guys because yeah. it, it's difficult to really think of things in the sense of like well you write all the music and then I'll come in and I'll write the lyrics and melody but yet a lot of bands work that way but um, yeah. I'm, I'm more of a control freak Craig so I like to just do everything and tell everybody what to do <laughs>
2: Uh, but no, I, I, I like that. Well, no wonder you ended up with, with L.C. Fox. Exactly. Uh, so, um, but, uh, Somebody, somebody's got to carry the weight.
3: <laughs> um, but, uh, the, that being able to do it and to do it at, at this level, it to me is great. And this song is just another example yeah. that just, it actually just makes me jealous to be honest yeah. with you that that like I didn't write this song I wanted to you know Eddie yeah. I wanted to write this and you took that from me uh right. so uh, <laughs> what do we got for a, how, a rating here I know how you feel uh oh, this one oh, did give, you want to
2: elaborate on that or uh no I I just I'm co-signing okay all right um this one I give five absolutely killer concert openers
3: all right this is five killer concert openers for me so uh, yeah. almost fives all across the board well, yeah. that that gets us to the the, the final thought segment to, here. Um, I'll tell you this from my end: this record has aged very well. Um, after talking with uh, Dave Hills I mentioned earlier, I went yeah. back and listened to the original mix and the master. And like I said, I really don't think a redo was necessary, but at the same time, I'm glad they did. This record, like a lot of these big ones, now that we're getting to the end, really takes me back to the funner times of this period for me. Oddly enough, because I know, like I've talked about it on a lot of these episodes, how like this kind of reminded me of some like less positive experiences in my life but this one for whatever reason an album that talks about a lot of dark subjects this to me reminds me of the party this album to me is jamming you know with friends this is chasing girls this is kegs this is you know th- th- i really feel i missed out on seeing concerts during this period but a lot of it had to do with proximity of living in rochester minnesota and not having any money you know so i really didn't see a lot of shows yeah. um of the grunge bands during this time i Frankly, any of the time, other than Alice in Chain's opening for Slayer and Megadeth and Anthrax, but um, this was not a crawl into a corner album for me. As well. this was a banger, man. I uh, I know the subject matter is really heavy, but the vibe of this record is just raging, and um, and that works because it really does have that same energy. And you, you, to me, when you talk about Eddie climbing the rafters and jumping into the crowd, a lot of that really vibes with the overall feel of the record, not the lyrical tone. Um, yeah. And there is just like this euphoric endorphin-producing vibe to this whole thing. Uh, it's good stuff. And I do, uh, this record I go back to fairly regularly, almost as often as I do Kiss music from The Elder. But uh, what are your final Ooh. thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was it was really nice to revisit it. Um, this album does hold a lot of really special memories for me. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, uh, my friend Kyle... He was the one who really kind of pushed me into getting into mm. Pearl Jam and, you know, his, he, his stories about, you know, hanging out with them and, and all that stuff. And I, I remember actually the, the mini disc conversation made me remember one of the first mini discs I made, he brought over all the, uh, import singles. So I made a disc of like all the live B sides and all the studio B sides and, as a collector, which I've kind of always been, Pearl Jam just kind of hit all those buttons. You know, mm. uh, the fact that... And it was, you know, at, at a time pre-internet, and, and I've gone off on, on this jag many times, but, like, just that thought that you could go into a Tower Records and find something you didn't know existed. Yeah. Like, that's gone now. You, you'll you'll always know... Your, your favorite band, you'll always know the street date for the next record, you know, you'll you'll know the single is coming a month before it's it's dropped as the kids say. Hmm. But like this was a time <laughs> when and I mean on top of that, you know, I was I was a year out of high school at this point, but dropping $50 on like two CD bootlegs, you know, silver CDs of Pearl Jam and and they were one of those bands that that bootleggers really had a field day with. Uh, so there was always like at the local place, you know, 20, 30 Pearl Jam CD bootlegs weren't cheap. Um, and that's an investment, you know, when you're, uh, a kid out of high school with, with not a whole lot of money. Uh, so, you know, that kind of stuff becomes really, uh, important. So, um, it's been great to kind of revisit those days. Uh, I didn't see Pearl jam until 2000. So a lot of my big memories of them are around that time, but this was definitely uh, what a time to become a fan of this, you know, uh, and, and the album just, it, it was so good to listen to again. Right on. Well, uh, as
3: always, it's a blast talking with you, Craig. Always love having you on. And you? Do you have anything you want to promote, talk about pods and sods? Uh,
2: um, I'm I'm a bit on hiatus right now, uh, but uh, the back catalog is over at Podsodcast.com, uh, uh, the Pods and Sods Network on Facebook. I, I did just release an episode. Um, by the time that this drops, uh, maybe a, a week or two as ago, as kids with, would say. Uh, okay, <laughs> um, uh, with uh, monkeys historian Andrew Sandoval right now. Oh on yes. A. I'm working on a monkey's book, which uh, will probably not be done in the next few years, but (laughs) um, that's where um, a a lot of my time uh, goes to when time permits. So um, during this hiatus that Eric and I are taking from podcasting, we're – reintroducing some of our older episodes into the feed which uh got lost when we moved servers so oh oh, nice uh some some older from the archives pods and sods might be showing up if you subscribe uh so yeah look out for that well right on man i appreciate this uh i appreciate it uh, always good to spend a uh uh, (laughs) these morning hours with you
0: whatever never mind
3: Put too much pressure on you, but the last two uh, episodes I've recorded were um, B.J. Cramp and I talking about uh, Mud Honey, which it turns out neither one of us liked, and then I just did <laughs> t- two hours with Ian Wadley on Hole, and uh, I- I'm about halfway through the editing of that, trying to to make this. Th- not so misogynistic it's just
2: <laughs> editing out the word cunt uh, quite a bit what what were you thinking with that matchup you knew that you were going to have editing work ahead of you but also i take full brian, responsibility brian and wad just the polar opposites that must have yeah. whiplash going from one episode to the other